pretty awesome that we get to do this together, that I get to walk off and then walk back up, and we get to gather as a people around the Word this morning as the church. Thankful for uh, all of what God's doing, and I've been overwhelmed uh, the last couple days, just the beauty of the church, that we get to do this together. I say that a lot, but you have to know that, that it really is amazing that God is taking people who shouldn't even like each other and making us love each other and encourage one another and build each other up. So it's, it's awesome that he's doing that. I'm thankful for Zach this morning uh, leading us in song. It was it's sweet. Um, thankful for the opportunity to, to join with Espanol today. And so even as we're gathering this morning, we're going to continue uh, in our new series in 2 Corinthians. So if you would find 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 3 through 11 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one of the paperback ones that are on the, on the benches next to you. Make it yours. Write in it. Underline it. Um, take it home with you. Or you can leave it for the next person to read your notes if they, if they can read your handwriting. Uh, it could be like a little, little, little game you're playing. Kind of fun. Um, but feel free to make the make use of those because what we want to do is we want to follow along in God's word. If you hear anything of, of me today, that's not going to be helpful. But if we can hear God's word, it's going to change and transform us, conform us into his image. And that's what we long for today. So we're in First Corinth, or Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Last week we launched our series titled Light of the Gospel which is our hope and our prayer for this series in 2 Corinthians, that God will shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus upon his people. Amen? I hope your appetite was whetted last week as Jeremiah shared kind of the highlights of 2 Corinthians. Um, and then maybe even this week in, in community group with some of the questions where we looked at those, or, or even just watching the video, it's, it's sweet. It kind of gets us excited about what God says in 2 Corinthians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And if you remember, Jeremiah laid some really good groundwork for us last week about the history of Corinth and what, what God was doing and why it was a key, key place in a key moment in time. Um, so we're going to dive in this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Follow along as I read, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer 
so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that is an emotional appeal of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. God, we thank you that we see uh, your glory in it. We pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see, that your Holy Spirit would be moving even now, exposing sin. Lord, challenging us, conforming us to your image. Lord, that we would be disciples of Christ. We thank you for doing all these things this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the, the title of this sermon would be God of All Comfort. So as we look in verse 3, we're looking at Paul's introduction, his prologue to this longer letter. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding the people of Corinth who it is that he comes in his name. He's reminding them of Jesus. He reminds them of his deity as God, that he is Lord, that he has the right to be king. We see it in God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ. We've already talked about it. He's the Savior that everyone was waiting for, that they longed for, that they knew they needed. He's the Messiah, the sent Savior. We also see that he's pointing to the attributes of God, who God is, just in this first verse. Verse 3, he's Abba Father. He's the loving Father that sent his Son, Jesus, to rescue a rebellious and wayward people. He's the father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort. Pastor Sam Storms in his devotional on 2 Corinthians writes that we should read this passage something along the lines of the father who is characterized by mercy and the God whose heart delights in giving comfort. Sometimes I don't think of God that way. And yet, what a sweet way to think of him. And the psalmist thought of him that way. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 25.6 says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. This was the begin- even in the beginning when God set apart a people, when he set Israel apart and rescued them out of, out of Egypt in Exodus, he said, I will, Exodus thirty three nineteen, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So God is a God of mercy and a God of comfort. When we think comfort, if, if you're like me, you might think um, consolation or, because I have a lot of children, a comfort blanket, right? Something that they have to have, otherwise they won't go to sleep, and we really just want them to go to sleep, so we will find that comfort blanket. 
something to pacify, and yet that's not what God is. God is not a pacifier. He is not something that, that we need to pacify. He is a God of comfort. The Greek word there, paraklesis, means encouragement or comfort. Encouragement to, to actually put courage in you, to give you boldness. Another Greek word, parakletos, is the reference used in John 14, 16, when Jesus says that he will pray to the Father to send a helper or comforter or encourager. And so we have a God who is the God of all comfort, who actually comes alongside and and not just pacifies, but stands us up and gives us his Holy Spirit that would give us courage in the midst of suffering, as we're going to see in the midst of hard circumstances. So God is the God of all comfort. It may be helpful to think of comfort in this way. David Garland in his commentary says, the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. That's what God of comfort means. That's what it means that we have this God with us. It's often the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives to come alongside, to speak words of truth, to to help us recall words that we've read before that we might even have memorized, but we forget in the moment. And so he encourages us and he speaks life. And we, we now have courage and boldness in the midst of our circumstances. It's both consoling, it is, it is consoling and it's emboldening. What a gift that God, God himself dwells inside of each of us that have been redeemed to give us courage in our suffering. Another commentator, Paul Barnett, says, This work of encouragement is indeed the work of the Blessed Trinity. As Paraclete, the the, the Father comforts and consoles us. As Paraclete, the Holy Spirit strengthens and guides us. And as Paraclete, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is our advocate with the Father and our helper in the hour of temptation. And so Paul begins this letter by pointing, who this God, pointing out who this God is. The three persons of the Trinity and how they work together and, and, and who they are. That blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It's an appeal to the character of God, to his nature. We're going to see that it's not only his nature, but it's also his action. It's what he does in verses 4 through 7. The next verses, we see that what he's done through the work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share Abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. 
for comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. See, Paul's hope for this people in Corinth, as they're experiencing distress, we, we alluded to it some last week, but there's, there's some turmoil that's going on in the church. And so there's suffering that's taking place. And Paul's encouraging them that, that as they're suffering, they suffer with Christ. They're experiencing distress, persecution, affliction, and he's praying that the comfort of God would be with them. This comfort or encouragement, this filling up with courage and boldness will only happen in the midst of suffering. It, it, when you think about it, it can only happen in the midst of suffering. If everything's going good, you don't need boldness. But when things are going not according to plan, when things are hard, that's when you need encouragement. That's when you need boldness. And so God uses suffering. Paul's clearly laying out the fact that the disciples of Christ will experience some degree of suffering in this world. Why is he saying this? Well, he actually has two reasons. One of them um, is, is simply because it's true. Jesus said the same thing. He, he told us in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we think about suffering, it's, it's us not having our lives, not being in control, having these outside things that are perplexing us, that are hard. And so Jesus is saying that in this life you're going to have suffering. It will be difficult, and Paul's echoing that same thing. Also, we're called to be imitators of Christ, and therefore our lives will look like his. And in verse 5, Paul, verse 5 of, of 2 Corinthians 1, Paul points to the suffering of his Savior and says that we too share in his suffering and we also share in his comfort. So that's the encouragement, is that there will be suffering. Jesus suffered. Take courage because you the same comfort that he had, you will also receive, just as you're receiving his suffering. The second reason that Paul is sharing this is, is one of the main reasons for his writing the letter to Corinth. Um, there, there had been some, uh, some super apostles that had shown up after Paul, and they begin to speak something that's a different gospel than what Paul spoke. And so they also kind of were, were cutting away at Paul's apostleship. And so Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church to remind the disciples in Corinth of his apostleship. He's challenging the would-be super apostles that have come in and begun to lead the church to doubt his apostleship. There are several false arguments, and Paul will, throughout the letter, speak to many of them. But this particular addresses to the idea that he was not an apostle because he had suffered. When I think about this, I think about um, some of the teaching of today. That if you, are an, if you are a disciple of Christ and if you just believe that good things are, are bound to happen and yet Jesus um, is a, a glaring example of pursuing God and still suffering. They pointed to Paul's suffering and deemed that it was not because of God's, or that it was because of God's displeasure 
and that if God was not pleased with Paul, then he could definitely not be an apostle. And what does Paul do? Paul points to Jesus. That's, that's the beauty of Paul. He's always pointing to Jesus. And so that's what he does in verse 5. He points to Jesus to defend himself and reminds the Corinthian church that the Son of God suffered and died. God's own Son suffered and died. And if suffering was a sign of God's displeasure, does that mean that the Father was displeased with his Son? No, we, we know it's recorded for us in Scripture that he, he looks upon his son and he says, in whom I am well pleased. And so if you're suffering today, it's not because God is displeased. No. So how can this prove God's displeasure with Paul? That there is a pattern or... It's just false. It's a false claim by these other apostles that that somehow God is displeased with Paul. Another observation in this section of the passage is that there is a pattern in these verses that points to the idea that what happens to us is not solely for us. And that's not easy to get, get over sometimes. But some of the things that are happening to you right now, some of the suffering that you may be in the midst of, may not even be for you. It may not even be about you. But it's about God being glorified in our lives. But let's look together. Where do we see this? Well, verse 4, comforts us in our affliction so we can comfort those who are in affliction. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If comforted, it's for your comfort. Paul's saying that all these things that are happening to us are actually for you. Verse 7, share in our sufferings. If you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is uh, maybe not contrary to your normal selfishness, but to mine, it goes against everything that I kind of rise up in. Sam Storm says it again, that when we hurt, we rarely think of others. We expect them to think of us. Uh, i just leave that one there. It's me in a nutshell. It's our natural inclination, but it's not what Jesus is calling us to. It's not what a disciple of Christ looks like. Storm says that instead of the question, why me, we should ask, who else? As Christians called by God... We need to lift up our heads and look around in the midst of suffering and see who else is suffering. Who else is experiencing some of these same things that as I'm reading the word and I'm being comforted by Christ, I can share that same comfort with. And that's that's both fellow believers and the world that needs to hear it. A lost world that needs to hear it. We need to be sharing in our suffering. But that's going to take some vulnerability. It's going to take us admitting that we suffer. And and sometimes admitting that we suffer, if you're like me, because you make mistakes, because you do silly things. And it causes suffering for you or for others. But if we truly believe in the Savior, then we can admit those things, and we can be honest about them, and we can actually even rejoice in them, that, that we have a Savior that's bigger than all of that silly stuff. 
Who else is suffering that we can share the comfort that we have received? That's Paul saying. It was Paul's unshaken hope, and it's ours too, that we will share in both suffering and comfort. Sometimes suffering, the comfort that you can offer is just for someone to know that you're suffering too, that they're not alone. So lift up our eyes. Pray that that would happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would, we would become a people that this is true of, that we would not say, why me, but who else? Who else is suffering? We can take them to this passage in Scripture and comfort them with the Word of God. And Paul goes on, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Here, Paul's sharing this great stress that he, distress that he experienced during his time in Asia. And there's actually a couple different ideas on what he's referring to here. He's never explicit in this letter. Um, but one of the ideas is that he was struggling with an illness or a physical ailment. Others have come to the conclusion that it was a specific period or an event of persecution. They, they point to the possibility that it's the riot that happened in Ephesus in Acts. Um, Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, so that's kind of how you could tie those two things together. Still others argue that it was a severe depression or spiritual anguish. Um, Whatever it was, Paul in verse 9 said that he thought he was going to die. I just want to stop here for a moment um, and point out that there are folks here that are experiencing being overwhelmed. Many are battling with depression. A lot of you are in a hard and tough season. You don't know how much longer you can keep. If things don't change, you don't know how much longer you can keep doing this. And you hear Paul say this and you think, I know that feeling. What a gift of kindness that God in his word would, would have Paul write this to us so that we can read it, and through Paul, God lets us know that it's okay to feel that way. Man, that's awesome. It's okay to be human, to be overwhelmed, to have too much on your plate that you can't control, that you can't take care of. But Paul doesn't end there. He relates to us. Yes, he gives us this, this feeling that he's experiencing and that we've experienced too. And then he speaks the truth. He goes on to speak the truth of what was taking place in that moment. The second half of verse 9 and then 10. It says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's the truth. The truth is that those feelings are real. 
But more real than that feeling is the God who raises the dead. God allowed the affliction and the suffering in Paul's life and those that were with him to force them to rely on themselves and not on God. Force them to rely not on themselves, but God. As we're, as we're kind of going through this, I want to look closely at two words in that verse 9. The first word is the word make. You see, God is always sovereign. He is always in control. So the feelings that we have, that life is out of control, that I don't know if I can make this anymore, there's a, there's a separate truth that God is always in control, that he is sovereign. And in the midst of suffering, he's there, and he can and he often does relieve that suffering. Stories of, we could share stories here today and tell of the way that God has relieved suffering, changed circumstances, given joy where there shouldn't have been joy, and fixed those things. He can, and he does do it. He's actually the only one who has the ability to do it. He's the only one that can do that. He heals bodies, he restores the broken, he reconciles enemies, he softens hearts, he brings the prodigal back, he transforms the rebellious heart, he saves sinners, and makes dead things alive. That's who God is, that's what he does. Let us believe that he can do those things. But I think we also have to acknowledge that there's times when he doesn't. Why? Paul gives us one good reason right here. The suffering, the affliction, the despair that Paul and the people that were with him experienced was to make them rely on God. To force that they had no other option but to rely on God. James echoes the same truth in his letter, James 1, 2, and 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. See, God will use suffering to make us rely on him. That's hard. It's a hard thing for us to grasp and to, to really enjoy. And yet it's sweet. God will use the circumstances in our lives to transform us into a people who trust him, who rely on him, who depend on him completely. And God can do all of this in us. How do we know? Well, the same almighty God that we talked about who allowed his son Jesus to suffer and die, raised him from the dead. Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He raised him up from the dead. We can cling to the comfort that Christ provides because we've seen the end result. We know that God is in control. That when it looks like death, God can raise the dead and does and has. And he's going to send Jesus back to redeem all things. Second word that I want to see, because we can swing this pendulum when we start pressing into the gift that we've been given in the church, we can swing into suffering with each other and comforting each other and starting to look 
to each other. And the second word that I want to see in this in this verse is the word ourselves. Paul reminds us that we cannot rely on ourselves. For me, I struggle with pride and arrogance, and I think that I can just rely on myself. And then finally, when God gets it through my thick head sometimes that I need other people, I begin to rely on ourselves. So I get out of that myself, and I confess and repent of that, but now I begin to think of ourselves and how if we were just better, a better church, man, we'd be able to rely on each other. Paul's reminding us that as great as the community of believers is, it is insufficient for us to rely on each other. We cannot take this to mean that we can actually carry each other's burdens in the sense that we can fix each other's circumstances. We can't fix each other's hearts. We can't make them right. It requires humility to share in affliction and suffering, and the only comfort we can offer each other, the only comfort we have, is the fact that we have a Savior who has borne our sorrows and carried our burdens. On him was our iniquity and sin laid, and Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. That's what we trusted. We must not rely on ourselves because we are, look, we are together, sinners gathered at the foot of the cross, looking, remembering, pointing to our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So we trust in the finished work of Christ. But as a community, we remind each other of the finished work of Christ. As the church, we share in each other's suffering and we comfort each other with the knowledge of the finished work of Christ, that it's done. And that's the comfort that we share together. So what does this mean for us? It means that we continue to look to Jesus He's risen from the dead, and he's the proof that we have an inheritance, that this world that, that suffering cannot take away, that we have the gift of Christ. We remember and we rejoice together. We rejoice on Sundays, yes, but we rejoice throughout the week. We do it as families. We do it as neighbors. We do it as baseball coaches. We do it as students. We rejoice, and we share that comfort that we have in Christ with each other and with our communities. And, and we rejoice that suffering might happen. Um, I think about just some of the things that we've walked through as a church family and then as, a, as an individual family this, over the last couple months. And, and to see those sufferings as things that God's doing that's not even about me, but might be for somebody else, if we can do that, we rejoice. We thank God for the suffering. We take joy in it. And then we look for opportunities to share the comfort that we've received from Christ with others. Finally, we pray and we participate in what God's doing. This is what we're called to do. We talked recently in Apostles' Creed. Jeremiah preached on the church, and the gift of the church, the mystery is that God has invited his church to participate in the proclamation of the gospel. One of the ways we do this is through prayer. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See, as we pray for 
and with one another, we begin to see God's faithfulness in both the allowing of suffering, because he's still faithful in the midst of suffering, and we get to see his faithfulness in the relieving of suffering, in the changing of circumstances, in the healing of bodies, in the restoration of relationships and reconciling. By grace, the Holy Spirit will tune our hearts to give thanks and to sing praise in all circumstances, knowing that the God of all comfort is working all things together for our completion and for his glory. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Zach and Tim to come up. We're going to finish things a little differently. Normally, this is where we would all bow our heads and pray. But it's, it's not... It's, it's more than one person being called to do this. It's all of us being called to do this. Verse 11 says, you also, you, all of us, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So what I'd like us to do is, is to close our time in the Word by doing what the Word says, by praying. And I'm going to invite you, it, I know it's awkward, but if you want to to grab the person next to you or, or even get up and move to somewhere and pray with someone, I'm going to lead us in, in just some guided prayer here. We're going to pray for the suffering. We're going to pray for the broken. We're going to pray for those that are experiencing joy and peace right now. We're going to pray for the, the, the places that we know of where the gospel is being proclaimed. And we're going to ask that God would show himself faithful, that he would comfort with his comfort. So let's do that together now. And uh, just, again, just bow your heads. Feel free to, to pray quietly. I'm just going to give us a topic. We're going to pray. Give it a couple seconds, and then I'll give us another topic. We continue to pray. And let's do it. That's what God is calling us to. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. That's the goal, is that through all of this, God is glorified. His thanks. We give thanks for what he's done. So let's pray. Let's pray for those that are experiencing suffering um, to the point of even, even feeling like life is too hard. Let's pray for those that are experiencing peace. That they would enjoy the peace of God. Let's pray for boldness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be bold in lifting up our eyes to see the suffering and sharing the comfort that we've received in Christ. Let's pray for the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world, maybe a particular place or a particular people come to mind. Let's pray that God would make himself known. Let's pray for uh, parents, pray for your children, Children, pray for your parents. And if you've got both, then pray for both. Let's pray that God would come soon. That he would come and restore. That he would reconcile. That he would be glorified. That his church would be whole. Amen. Thank you. It's our joy. It's our privilege that we get to partner together. Pray, participate in what God's doing.